Hi, I'm Aaron Bregman, Director of High School Affairs at AJC. Anti-Jewish hate, once found on the fringes, has gone mainstream. This moment demands action. Every day, I hear from high school students about the challenges they have and their disappointment over how their schools and communities are addressing the sharp rise of anti-Semitism. Through our Leaders for Tomorrow program, I help empower young people to call out that hate when they see it and to remain Jewish and proud. At the same time, we work closely with high school administrators to understand these issues and adopt proactive and reactive policies to address anti-Semitism. Our students deserve a voice, both in their schools and in their communities. AJC has always sought out the boldest opportunities for the Jewish people and taken on our community's toughest challenges. Today, AJC stands as the most influential and transformational force advocating for Jews across the globe. Your gift will help us continue tackling rising anti-Semitism, opening doors to and for Israel, and advancing democratic values. Step off the sidelines and make clear what you're willing to fight for. To support our work today, visit ajc.org backslash donate. Or you can text AJC Donate to 52886. That's AJC space donate to 52886. Every dollar you donate will be doubled. You can also find this information in our show notes. Welcome to People of the Pod, brought to you by American Jewish Committee. Each week, we take you beyond the headlines to help you understand what they all mean for America, Israel, and the Jewish people. I'm your host, Manya Brashear-Pashman. Two years ago, Morocco normalized relations with Israel, becoming the sixth Arab country to do so. Earlier this year, a group of 22 young Americans, Israelis, and Moroccans toured Morocco together, a first-of-its-kind experience for everyone involved. The tour was part of the Michael Sachs Emerging Leaders Fellowship. The fellowship is sponsored by AJC and the Mamouna Association, a Muslim nonprofit in Morocco devoted to preserving Jewish Moroccan heritage. The first cohort included members of Morocco's parliament, as well as civic, business, and technology leaders in Israel and the United States. With us to talk about this unprecedented venture are three members of that cohort. Hilary Jacobs, president of AJC's young professionals group, Access Global. Reda Ayadi, program director of Muslim Jewish Dialogue for the Mamouna Association. And Itiel Biran, head of operations in the mayor's office for the municipality of Rahat, Israel. Welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. Hi. Thank you. So, Hillary, I will start with you. How did your involvement in the Sachs Fellowship come about? Was it a curiosity about Morocco, curiosity about Israel, or just an opportunity to continue pursuing better Jewish-Muslim relations? I think all of the above for those. And in addition to that, one, I love traveling and I love getting to know and experience other cultures from the people who are from there and who live there. So less on vacation and where I can really understand the culture, the geopolitics of the region. And this seemed like a great opportunity. It also felt like a way that we talk a lot about in the U.S. and in the different activities with AJC about the Abraham Accords and about these different relationships. And it felt like a real chance for me to do something actionable and really learn about what that meant. 
ETL, had you been to Morocco? No, no. This was my first time. Okay. Had you even wanted to go and just could not? Or did this plant the idea in your head? To be honest, I don't think it was in my radar, like in my point of view or thinking. Mostly, I think, because even my background in the army and you look outside, you don't really look at it until the last couple of years. You don't really look and say, like, I'm going to visit whatever, Egypt or Morocco or something like that. We need to be frank and said that a lot of Israelis visited Morocco in the last decade, a lot of them. But for me personally, it wasn't like an opportunity until it became more real in the area, the region. And Reda, had you been to Israel? Because that was part of this as well, right? A trip to Israel? That's correct, yes. The second part, right after Morocco, we flew from Casablanca to Tel Aviv for the second part of the, of the trip. Before that, I had been to Israel a little over, it was almost 10 years to the day. So 2012 was the first time I went way before the Abraham Accords and the situation was a little different than uh, it is today. How so? For you as a traveler, personally, or are you saying kind of geopolitically in the broader scope it was different? More geopolitically, what was different, and also as a traveler, I'll explain both sides. You know, 2012, there were no Abraham Accords, there were no like open dialogue between the countries in the region. So it was a purely civil society kind of grassroots organization talking to each other. So we didn't have that necessary framework within which we can operate. And on a personal level, as a, as a traveler, it's also quite different, you know. Back then, I remember in 2012, I had to fly to Istanbul and meet someone from Israel to give me my Israel visa. Well, I know you can just go to the Israeli office in Rabat and submit your application and get your visa to travel. So quite different situation. So in fact, let's summarize for our listeners kind of the Jewish history of Morocco. There's always been kind of a quiet connection between Israel and Morocco, particularly the Moroccan diaspora in the Jewish state. And then kind of the new 21st century approach there in Morocco to celebrating interfaith relations, celebrating its Jewish history. Morocco had the largest Jewish community in the Muslim world and the largest outside of the Ashkenazi world with almost 300,000 Jews up until the 60s where quite a large flow of migration started one way. And I guess, yes, there was definitely a strong connection that were maintained between Moroccan monarchy and uh, heads of state in Israel. Some of it was indeed behind closed doors, but others were more in the open, like the trip to of Shimon Peres to Morocco or Itaf Rabin and others. So I think the 21st century, as you said, there are two things. There is Morocco's approach and its relation with its Jewish community, like the 2011 constitution that finally recognized as an essential component of Moroccan identity. It's the Jewish part is Jewishness. But at the same time, the Abraham Accords now that gave like a new kind of strong impetus to go beyond what you said, you know, those kind of closed door connections, usually between security officials, but now it's, you know, accords across the whole spectrum of agriculture, technology, and, you know, lots of people to people relations. So it's a very significant change that we are seeing now. Unlike most other countries, Jews were never kicked out of Morocco. In fact, they originally, during the Spanish Inquisition, they were asked to come to Morocco and were wanted to be there. And um, the people that we met and spoke with felt the loss of the Jewish community there 
when they migrated to Israel. And so I think that's something that's really special. And I'm the granddaughter of two Holocaust survivors and then Russian on the other side. So a lot of persecution and to think about Jews being in a country, in a region, and especially we don't think about in the Arab world as one that is welcoming to Jewish people and beyond well, really see them as like their fellow citizens. Yetiel, did you have something to add? Yeah, I want to add two things. One, and I think from Israel's society point of view, there is some interesting collide of the vector of what happened in Israel to the Moroccan Jew in Israel in the last 70 years that I think relates very much to what happened these days between Moroccan and Israelis too. And I think we should see when we look at the history of Israel, the Moroccan Jew and a lot of the Mizrahim, a lot of the people from uh, Africa and from the not Ashkenazic people, uh, were pretty much pushed aside from the decision-making places. And there's some big change in Israel in the decades that follow that I think influenced a lot of how not only Moroccan, but also the whole society in Israel look at the heritage, the big and amazing heritage of the Moroccan Jew that bring to Israel. And I think these days, what we've seen is a combination between what Israelis look up and look on the history of themselves. You know, the Moroccan Jew in Israel is a half a million people. There's a lot of people. And the, the, the heritage is enormous. It's amazing. It's like a lot of culture. And for decades, Israelis and Israel society look at them as like, uh, you know, yeah, they a very good food or something like that. I think this change is impact a lot and it's very helpful. This is the first thing I want to say. And of course, to relate to what Rada said, the Abraham Accord is the peak of uh, process, I think, in Morocco, not in uh, other countries. Other countries, I think it's the starting of a process. In Morocco and in the relationship between Moroccan and Israelis, it's some kind of a peak because there was an ongoing relationship for a lot of time, but there was never from up down, always from down to up, only from top to bottom, whatever. This is a point of view that really uh, helps you understand why this peak of relationship between Morocco and Israel is so strong and why the changing of how, how many Israelis come to Morocco is changing in two, three years from, I don't know, 50,000 to 200,000 a year. I think because it's a peak, it's not a start. That's a really interesting point. In other words, you're saying that the renewed interest in the Jewish history of Morocco, plus the new look at how Moroccan Jews are treated in Israel, both of those paved the way toward this normalization. Yeah, with all of the other things, you know, the business opportunities, etc. Right. That's a really good point, ETL. I appreciate you making that. I'm curious, both of you, ETL, Hillary, what did you learn about the Jewish community in Morocco and kind of the efforts on behalf of both the Jewish and Muslim communities there to kind of better understand each other? First of all, for sure, what I mentioned before, for me, it's the continuous process of uh, my friend called me, uh, there is not a good translation for this, but I'm very fan of Arab and, and Moroccan identity, and I'm looking at myself as Israeli and uh, as a combine of a lot of identities, and a lot of them is more like an African identity. And I think there's a continuous process in a lot of Israelis to embrace this identity even more. And I think when I went to Morocco, it was a big, strong feeling of this heritage and how it's related to me. And to be honest, the absence of the of this similar heritage from my own places like 
I'm from, of course, I'm, I'm Ashkenazi from Poland and from, from Germany and etc. And there's nothing there. There's nothing there left. There's nothing there to see what my ancestor was talking about and what this big proud of communities were, was. And when you go to Morocco, you see all the stories in real life. It's blow my mind. It's amazing. And Hilary, what did you learn about the Jewish community in Morocco when you went? You know, it's very humbling. I also grew up in a very Ashkenazi-centric world or around Sephardic Jews, uh, mostly from Iran, and there was maybe like one or two Moroccan Jews. And I never really got to learn about any of their traditions at all. And so on this trip, getting to see those and also seeing how, you know, our Moroccan counterparts were as excited about participating in those cultural traditions. I mean, the Mimuna Association is called the Mimuna Association for a reason, after kind of one of those specifically Moroccan holidays after Pesach. So that was kind of amazing. I think the fact that an organization that started out simply as a on-campus group that has blossomed into an NGO would be go around and preserving Jewish sites and heritage sites and culture. What is the Mamuna Association? Sure, yeah. Mamuna Association is now a Moroccan NGO. It started in 2007 at my university as a student club, right? So just a group of students decided that they want to learn more about Moroccan Jewish heritage. So 10 of them got together and created the club and started the pretty small, just like uh, once a month or once every other month. They would do an event like Moroccan Jewish Days or something of the sort where they would turn the whole campus Jewish for a day, you know, like Moroccan Jewish food in the, the cafeteria, the library where would show books from Moroccan Jewish writers or scholars and things of the sort. And I guess it evolved quite a bit from 2007 until 2012 when a lot of us graduated and we registered the, uh, well, was then a student club into a Moroccan NGO that exists outside of the university, present in a few cities. And also we started like different years, like student branches in other universities besides the one where it started. The big chunk of the work that's done is education. It's really working in universities and the high schools with students to learn more about their own history that most people are not very much aware of. That's one. Two, we work on Holocaust education as well. Although the Holocaust is not necessarily a chapter that Moroccans are very familiar with, but with partners in the U.S., and others, we developed like a Holocaust curriculum specifically for an Arab audience. So we focus on that. And also we work on Muslim-Jewish relations with both Jewish community in Morocco and outside in the United States, Israel, and other countries. So that's just a few of the things that we focus on. Now it's been more than 15 years doing the work, and we continue. There is uh, plenty to that needs to be done still. So since Israel and Morocco did establish diplomatic relations, I think more than 30 agreements have been brokered having to do with a variety of things, water management, renewable energy, security. I'm curious if there were any particular collaborations that you explored during this fellowship that intrigued you or kind of struck you as particularly beneficial for the region. And Reda, I'll start with you. 
I think uh, a critical issue is really the water management in both. You know, Morocco right now is suffering from like a very heavy drought that's been ongoing for a long time. And both the well-being of everyone in the country it depends on really water resources. So like cooperating in that space, I think is excellent. And I think could be like a good platform for both Morocco and Israel to pursue like a similar agenda in other countries because the water scarcity is not just an issue for Morocco, it's an issue for the whole region. So I think it could be like a way to work with countries that are also in, in such a need. Hillary, I'll pose the same question to you. From what I experienced, there's so many different opportunities Tourism is something that we talked a lot about as it being something very immediate that we could do as individuals, encouraging people to go there. We met with the tourism office and so how we can encourage Israelis and Americans to go there. Also, one of the things that I learned that was really helpful in terms of thinking about like the region as a whole and as Morocco as a gateway to Africa and that being so essential and important for the future of Israel. And there's a lot of contention often in African countries and its relationship to Israel, like considering the vote of the African Union to potentially kick out the delegates from Israel. And so to really be championing these new sorts of relationships in Morocco, I think is an excellent starting point to open up a whole new region of possibilities. And so there's just kind of endless opportunities that can come through, starting with Morocco and moving out all over Africa. And ETL, are there particular collaborations that you find very beneficial? For me, myself, to be honest, was very unique look at governmental and uh, municipality and uh, government. And I think, and I told this to my friends from Morocco, that I was very surprised and very interested about the way of managing and the way of, of handling uh, pretty much the same issues in different countries with different rules and different governs. And I think a lot of potential there too. So these past couple of weeks, we've been watching the first World Cup hosted in the Arab world in Qatar. Yet it was quite an ordeal to arrange for Israelis and Palestinians to fly directly from Israel. And since some of the Israeli journalists have arrived there, they've been harassed simply because of where they're from. And I'm curious if your participation in this program, your engagement in these kinds of relationships, if it changed how you view tensions like this. Every experience that we're experienced as a Israeli who come across our people all around the world or in Israel, or as a Moroccan, or did you come across Israelis or what you're facing back home when you speak on your relationship or what were you approaching? I think most of this experience speaks pretty much the same language. And the same language is peace is coming from people, from face to face, from long relationship, from knowledge, from understanding, from business and actions, and not from papers and not from anything else. And you can say from the point of view of Israel, yeah, we have a, a, a peace agreement with some country. Is there any peace with them? Yeah, peace agreement there is, but there is any peace with them. And for my personal view, I came to Morocco with my like arms up, ready to argue, ready to defend my point of view as Israeli, ready to whatever. And I was blown up by the fact that I didn't have to do it, that 
some root or some foundation of coexist. Even though there's a lot of misunderstanding, there's a lot of media, there's a lot of things that people in both sides think and, and hear and doesn't understand. When you have some foundation of warm warmness, I don't know if there's any word like this, but when you have some foundation of this, there's something to build on. And when you don't have it, whatever agreement you're going to do and whatever speaking you're going to do, it's going to stay in the area of speaking, of talking, and nothing. And I think this, this statement that I just said, it's going through our delegation and our friendship and our continuous after this program to do things together and speak together and, and this stuff. Because I think all of us that when we met in this delegation, it wasn't, it wasn't something for like one time a meeting. All of us felt, I think, and agree without talking about it, that when you do this gray daily day speaking and working and action, you're making with your own hands the warm piece that you can actually build on. Have you encountered pushback from others for participating in this program? And if so, how do you respond to that kind of pushback? Trust is very hard to put, right? If we have learned from a generation to mistrust, to distrust each other, it's hard to just like one day wake up and be, oh, you know, it's all good. It's easy to go back and forth uh, without any issue. If we would just give up after any pushback, after any being stopped at the checkpoint uh, or at an airport for two hours, nobody would be doing anything. You know, since my first trip and my second trip and my third trip to Israel, every time I would spend at least two hours in a room waiting for someone to come question me, right? But I understand that, you know, it takes this many times and many years for the other to become less other, to become someone that's familiar. And I hope that both Israelis and Palestinians go into the World Cup and everyone else traveling back and forth between these countries to not give up after the first difficult experience trying to travel and build bridges between these peoples and to continue doing it. Excellent. Well, thanks to all of you for making the trip, for participating in this fellowship, and for coming and sharing your experience with our listeners. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you for listening. This episode is brought to you by AJC. Our producer is Atara Lakritz. Our sound engineer is TK Broderick. You can subscribe to People of the Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, or learn more at ajc.org slash peopleofthepod. The views and opinions of our guests don't necessarily reflect the positions of AJC. We'd love to hear your views and opinions or your questions. You can reach us at peopleofthepod at ajc.org. If you've enjoyed this episode, please be sure to tell your friends, tag us on social media with hashtag peopleofthepod, and hop on to Apple Podcasts to rate us and write a review to help more listeners find us. Tune in next week for another episode of People of the Pod.